Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code boom to get $30 off your first month. That's boom. Talkspace.com slash boom. B-O-O-M. You are locked on Packers. Your daily podcast on the Green Bay Packers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And you are locked on the Packers. Hello, this is Bill Huber, publisher of PackerReport.com, part of the Scout.com network. Scout brings you the most in-depth NFL and college football news that you will find anywhere. And yes, I'm still battling a cold, but you know what? If Caleb Ripken could play in a million games in a row and Brett Favre could play from a broken thumb, I sure can do a podcast with a sore throat. So we'll, we'll get to this next 15 to 20 minutes hitting on all the issues surrounding your favorite football team. And we will lead off with first down. That, of course, would be Clay Matthews, Julius Peppers, and the ongoing investigation into their alleged use of performance-enhancing drugs. Matthews and Peppers did meet with legal officials on Wednesday regarding, these Al- regarding the Al Jazeera America documentary. But all I can tell you, though, I got nowhere with follow-up questions, and I don't think anybody has. I took a scanner on the web this morning, and I couldn't find any news whatsoever on this. Um, Tom Pellicero of USA Today has done a great job covering this. Didn't have anything this morning either. But Tom did have a great piece yesterday before all this to kind of to kind of set the stage for what's ahead. And I'm going to boil it down here to two words. And the two words there are Tom Brady. As you know, you know Brady got, got in the hot water over the deflate gate charges from a couple years ago. And the NFL finally dropped the hammer with Brady serving a four-game suspension to start this season. Ultimately, and this is what I think what matters here for for the Packers and and for you out there, is Brady didn't really get pub, didn't really get um, punished for the for what did or didn't happen in the Flakegate. Now, rational minds can can argue both sides of that debate. Would did, did the Patriots deflate footballs, or did did they not deflate footballs? And if they did deflate footballs, was was Tom Brady involved in all that? I mean, you can go either way on this one. But ultimately, what what got Brady in the hot water here, what finally got him suspended, is the fact that the NFL didn't think that Brady cooperated enough. And this is, I'm going to read a segment here of Tom's column on this. It says, quote, Look at the initial disciplinary decision against New England Patriots star Tom Brady, whose refusal to produce electronic evidence, emails, text messages, etc., and testimony that investigators concluded was not plausible and contradicted by other evidence was cited as, quote, failure to cooperate fully and candidly, contributing to a four-game suspension in the deflategate matter. And, and this is what I think is going to be key here. You know, just because Matthews and Peppers finally decided to, to talk to the league doesn't mean this is the end of it, or it you know, might not be close to the end of it. Because it has taken so long to get to this point, you wonder if Matthews and Peppers already won't be behind the eight ball a little bit in the NFL's eyes. Remember, when the NFL threatened to suspend Matthews and Peppers and former Packers linebacker Mike Neal and Steelers linebacker James Harrison, unless they cooperated in this matter, it wasn't going to be for violating the NFL's performance-enhancing drugs policy. Rather, it was going to be for conduct detrimental to the league. And as, as, they state, as the NFL stated in that letter to him, it was, quote, fail meaningfully to participate in or otherwise obstruct the interview. 
So, you know, it's part of that, you know darn well the NFL is going to ask for this. In that documentary, Charlie Sly, the intern from the anti-aging clinic, said that he had received a text message from, text message from Matthews. Now, obviously, Sly has since recanted that, but you know darn well the NFL is going to ask Matthews about it. So is so Matthews ready and willing, or was he willing to hand over his phone and hand over any records of this? So there's a lot of stuff at play here, and the cooperation of Matthews and Peppers yesterday, it better be good enough for the NFL's eyes, or they're not going to be on the field for week one at Jacksonville. On to second down, and that is rookie defensive lineman Kenny Clark and Dean Lowry. In that Raiders game last week, and in the practices leading up to it, when Green Bay used its base defense, it was Dean Lowry, the fourth-round pick, not Kenny Clark, the first-round pick, running with the number one unit. I talked to Dom Capers about that earlier in the week, and he confirmed my my theory that the Packers think the Latroy guy has a better nose tackle than an end. So to get their best combination of guys in the field, they feel that guy on at nose with Mike Daniels and Dean Lowry at ends is a better deal than having Latroy, Guyon, and Daniels as the ends and Clark in the middle. You know, this is one of the things I did at PackerReport.com before the draft and then after it as well. Obviously, there's a lot of pressure on these guys to play and play well, talking about Clark and Lowry, considering the lack of veteran depth there, especially to start the season with with Mike Pinnell's suspension. But this is but D-line has been Ted Thompson's worst position, and not even really close. He's been his track record is pretty pretty lousy, frankly. Since the start of the since the 2009 draft, that's when Green Bay went to the 3-4. Thompson drafted 11 defensive linemen. In 2009, it was B.J. Raji in the first round and Jarius won the sixth. In 2010, it was Mike Neal in the second round and C.J. Wilson in the seventh. In 2011, it was Lawrence Guy in the seventh. In 2012, it was Jarrell Worthy in the second and Daniels in the fourth. In 2013, it was Dayton Jones in the first round and Josh Boyd in the fifth. In 2014, it was Kyrie Thornton in the third. And finally, in 2015, it was Christian Ringo in the sixth round. Those 11 players I just rattled off combined for seven starts as rookies. You'll never guess this. B.J. Raji started one. Where do you think the other six came from? Should I play the Jeopardy music? Nah, I won't do that. C.J. Wilson started two games as rookie, and, and Jarrell Worthy, of all people, arguably the worst of the picks, arguably the worst pick that Thompson's ever made, <laughs> started four. So that's a combined seven starts. At a, and, I mean, that's the history that Clark and Lowry are going up against. And it's not just... Just not just Green Bay in that regard. It's hard for a defensive lineman to start as rookies. Unless you're you know, one of the elite guys, a top ten kind of guy. It just is. So, you know, that that Clark's not starting right away. I mean, I don't think it's a big deal, but I mean look at look at that list of names I rattled off. I mean, of those eleven, I mean really, I would say that Daniels and maybe Josh Boyd are the only players in that group to really have outplayed their draft status. I mean, Worthy and Thornton were just absolute bombs. Dayton Jones got moved to outside linebacker because he wasn't good enough at the end. Mike Neal was moved to outside linebacker because it wasn't good enough at the end. And it's just been, it's just been poor. 
And, you know, it can't be that way. I mean, I'm going to state the obvious here, but when you're going into the season with Daniels and Guyan as the only guys who have ever played it down, I mean, there, there, is, there is no recourse. Then, then Clark and Lowry are going to have to be ready to go right now. I mean, there's going to be there's going to be no breaking in here. I mean, look, Daniels hardly even played as a rookie. They, they, were, they, were, they were able to ease Mike Daniels back into things. but Or not back into things, but ease him into the lineup. There's going to be none of that with Clark and Lowry. I mean, they're going to play. They're going to play a lot. They're going to play right away. And if they're not good enough, you know, this team's going to be in a lot of trouble because, for one, they're going to have to count on Daniels and Guyon to carry the load. Well, good luck with that in week one in Jacksonville playing two 300-pound guys for 60 snaps. And, look, the Packers are going to rush the passer like crazy. They've got pass rushers up and down that lineup. But who cares if you can't? Who cares about that, right? If it's constantly second and five and third and two, you can't rush the passer. And Dom Capers can't throw all of his exotic blitzes at, at quarterbacks because it's going to be run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. Or if it's you know, third and two or second and five, like I mentioned, I mean, those are 50-50 downs where where the offensive coordinator really has the defense at his mercy. I mean, he can do whatever. He can call whatever play he wants. So if Clark and Lowry aren't good enough and they can't stop the run, they're going to have a hard time winning any of these first four games without Pinnell. Then Pinnell's going to have to get back in the swing of things. I mean, that first six weeks of the year could be brutal for this defense. This segment of Locked On Packers is brought to you by PackerReport.com and Scout.com. Scout's fantasy site is host of the World Fantasy Championships, and our fantasy insiders have helped a lot of people make a lot of money. And if your company is interested in talking to men between the ages of 18 to 44, you really should be sponsoring this podcast. Locked On Packers is listened to by 98% men and 80% between the ages of 18 to 44. So if you want men 18 to 44, this is your spot. Plus, our rates are reasonable. Email me at packwriter2002 at yahoo.com to find out more. On the third down, that would be the play of the Packers' undrafted free agents. An all-time exchange with Ted Thompson <laughs> on, on Wednesday. Obviously, Thompson has the reputation of being terrible with the media. Um, I think, and, and, and a lot of that is, is, is well-deserved because he, he doesn't really say anything of substance on things that matter. You know, if, if, you, if, you, if you want to talk to Thompson about things that have nothing to do with this team, like, like his history playing and, and stuff like that, he's usually terrific on it, but... Forget about talking about this, this this year's team or anything pertinent because he's just not going to. So Tom Silverstein, the Milwaukee General Sentinel, tries to ask Thompson about the undrafted free agents kind of vaguely. Thompson, um, I don't know how you measure that. I hadn't thought about it. So, so, so Spoon follows up. Do you think it's a good class? Thompson, we don't talk about those guys. Spoon, really? No. Spoon, ever? No. Spoon, are you sure? Go back and check. Then Ryan, what of the Press Gazette, says, why? And Ted says, who said why? You? And Ryan goes, yeah, me. And then the Thompson finishes up going, because I don't want to. So very informative 45 seconds of, of Ted Thompson's press conference yesterday. Well, you know what? I'll talk on draft of free agents. I, I did this about a week or so ago with you guys, and, I'm, and the orders changed based on practices and games and special teams reps. Here's what I have. I have the, the six most likely undrafted free agents to make the team. Number six, inside linebacker, inside linebacker Benicus Brown. 
he's had a heck of a good camp. He's taken some second team reps here and there. And I would say he would have had a chance under most circumstances, but but returning players Joe Thomas and Carl Bradford, you know, two guys who you thought might not be around, especially Bradford, who who in his first two years hasn't played a single snap in a game. But those guys have been really good and you know, if the Packers keep four instead of linebackers, it's going to be between those two guys to make the roster, and maybe they'll keep five. But but they've been really good, and in a position where you thought they're terrible, or I shouldn't say they're terrible, but they, they have a lot of question marks entering training camp, all of a sudden the depth looks really good. Number four, defensive lineman Brian Price. It's going to be between Bryce and Christian Ringo to be the fifth D lineman while Pinnell is suspended. You know, just based on practice reps this week, seems like Ringo's got the edge there. When Green Bay used its number one nickel package with Clark and Daniels both out on Tuesday, it was Ringo and Guyon with, with the starters. So, I had to go Ringo over Price there. The third most likely to make it would be wide receiver Geronimo Allison. Again, Allison has played well enough to make the roster. That There's absolutely no denying that. Rodgers has spoken highly of him, but it's a deep position, and the injury... The Jeff Janis, I think, makes Green Bay a bit vulnerable, a returner. And that's where Trevor Davis has the edge there over Allison. Is Davis is a proven kick returner at Cal, so I think he probably has the edge there. Number two, I'm going to go a tie between cornerbacks McIntyre, Dorlian, and Josh Hawkins. I don't think they're both going to make it, but I think, they, I think one of them has a chance. If you look at the special teams, both Dorlan and Hawkins were at the number one kickoff the other day. Dorlan picked off Rodgers on Tuesday. Hawkins had an interception in the Raiders game. And I'm not convinced that either of the second-year guys, Ladarius Gunter and Robertson Daniel, have really seized control of a roster spot. I, mean, I would say Gunter's ahead of Daniel. But I don't think really either of those guys has had a great camp. So there's a chance that if Dorlan Hawkins, if one of those guys has a strong game or shows up well on on special teams, that they've got a real chance to make on the roster, either knocking off a guy like Daniel or forcing the cap or forcing the Packers to keep an extra corner. And finally, number one leader in the clubhouse, so to speak, would be safety Kentrell Bryce, the safety from Louisiana Tech. I mean, he's a guy I talked about from, I think I interviewed him two days after the draft. A terrific, he had a really good junior season at Louisiana Tech in terms of tackles. I, He's one of the nation's leaders, nation's leaders in forced fumbles. Kind of fell back as a senior. Needed a strong pro day. And Louisiana Tech was loaded in this draft with guys like Vernon Butler and the running back Dixon and their quarterback as well. Brought out a lot of scouts to that pro day. And and Bryce took advantage of the, with a great performance. And he has been really good in camp. As we talked about a bunch of times, he's been he's been around the ball. And and it was an acknowledgement of that, acknowledgement of that this week of practice where on every single one of the special team, you know, kickoff, kickoff return, punt and punt return, there's Bryce at the number one unit. You know what? Special teams coordinator Ron Zook can say, ah, we're just, you know, keep working guys in there and seeing what they can do. I mean, that's true, but you know what? They don't work in guys who can't play. The only guys who are working with the number one unit this time of year are players who the coaching staff deems have a real chance to make the roster. And the Bryce is the number one with all those units has to mean something. You know, obviously, this is Green Bay's got a terrific undrafted history with Sam Shields being the poster child, but J. Ron Elliott, Lane Taylor, Pinnell. Last year was Alonzo Harrison and Gunter, and then when Harris got whacked for missing curfew, they promoted another undrafted guy, John Crockett. 
this is a really good roster with a lot of returning talent. But I mean, I'd be surprised if two or three don't make it again. And, and Bryce seems to be the leader there, but I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, one of the corners or you know maybe even Allison work his way into that mix. And finally, fourth down, which is a look ahead to what's ahead for the Packers with training camp almost running out. No practice today, Thursday. Being the head off to San Francisco. They put the 49ers at 9 p.m. Central Time on Friday. You know, Ted Thompson jokes that he hates the night practices because they keep him up past his bedtime. So he must really, really hate 9 o'clock preseason games. Nothing scheduled for Saturday and Sunday. Packers practice twice this coming week. So if you want to go watch training camp, you're down to two opportunities. Green Bay practices at 12.15 on Monday and 11.45 on Tuesday. And by 3 p.m. on Tuesday, the Packers must cut the roster to 75 players. Usually that first wave of roster moves is populated by by moves of injured guys. But Green Bay is so darn healthy that this first round of roster cuts really is going to be cutting guys from the roster. No practice on Wednesday. Leading up to that Thursday preseason game at Kansas City. That starts at 7 o'clock. No practice Friday. Thompson and the coaches will be huddled together getting ready for that last wave of roster moves. Because the roster must be, must be cut to 53 by 3 p.m. on Saturday. The team won't announce those cuts until 5, 6, 7 o'clock at night probably. But between myself and guys like Tom Silverstein from the Journal Sentinel, Roger Mosky from ESPN, I think we'll have all those cuts or the overwhelming majority of those cuts. We'll, we'll have those out on Twitter long before the Packers announce those roster moves. So that's that from Packers' perspective this week. And that's that for this podcast. Thank you for listening as always, and be sure to check out the rest of the great Locked On Podcast Network and to read more of my writing at PackerReport.com. Thanks, everybody, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org catalyst.